Welcome to Table Life Church. So great to see uh, so many familiar faces, new faces. Um, I'm Pastor Chris. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, just want to extend a special welcome to you. And um, we have quite a few folks also online too every week. So we want to um, also welcome them. And um, I hope that everybody enjoyed two rounds of snow this week in South Central Pennsylvania. And there's like some people booing and no and whatever. Hopefully your back muscles, from, well, yesterday we didn't have to shovel, so that was a good thing. It was just pretty, right? Just pretty seasonal, like I say. Um, so um, I don't know if you've ever um, done a, a Google search of the question, what does God look like? You've probably Googled lots of things in your life. But have you ever asked the question, and specifically just for ha-has, Googled the question, what does God look like? Um, if you do, even if you like, got out your phone like right now and decided to, to do so, you'd find lots and lots and lots of responses from people over a course of decades, people around the world in lots of different ways. Um, I just want to share with you a couple of those results. Once again, this is not all inclusive. It probably There's pages and pages and thousands of results you could probably spend your lifetime going through. But um, one of those responses was really interesting. It was um, this artist who um, asked people the question, you know, what did they think that God looked like when they were kids? You know, think back to when you were a child. And, um, and they had them draw pictures of what they thought God looked like when they were a child. And it was interesting. Most drew an old man in the clouds with a beard. Like, like a Zeus figure, almost. That's often where we kind of get those impressions from. Um, and did you know, there is actually a YouTube video, How to Draw God. If you too can learn to draw God in this way. Um, but, but interesting, some other responses or some other findings from that, that asking Google that question. Um, did you know that, that some people think that God looks like rappers? Specifically Eminem, Kanye, and Jay-Z. I was kind of surprised by that. I don't know about you, but that was apparently a whole article about rappers and people thinking that God looked like them. Um, famous result, some people think that God looks like Morgan Freeman. For good reason, right? If you ever watched the movie, 90s movie, Bruce Almighty, you could probably see that image there, him sitting there. Um, others uh, uh, kind of thought God looked like a, a sunlit valley, things in nature. Um, you've probably seen some different images that have popped up on, on social media and whatever, things in the clouds. Um, Images of God appearing in natural areas and natural places. And, um, and you can kind of have fun scrolling through the different responses there. Um, but, but if you think about that question seriously, and more like significantly the question, not just what God looks like, but what is God like, um, it, it's very common for us to, you know, kind of laugh at some of these responses, but, but then to kind of say in, in jest, like, God's just a mystery, right? We can't really know fully... Some people have ideas about who God is, what God is like, um, and, and maybe, I don't know if you've ever said that, or um, there's been a turn of events when you've been thinking about God, what God is like, um, but, but I think most of us at some time have kind of like thrown our hands up in the air and say like, we can't know much about God anyway. You know, I, I've done that, most likely you've done that at some point, point. Um, and, and even as a pastor, there's times that, that I run into some things that are really hard to explain. 
some things that are hard to explain, and it's easy for me to just say, well, God is mysterious. God has mysterious ways. Um, and, and if you've ever said that, you're, you're not actually wrong. You're not wrong. God is a mystery that we can't fully figure out God because we are limited human beings. But it's also very important to remember that God is not a complete mystery. God is not a complete mystery, that there are things that we can know about who God is. And in fact, uh, Scripture, the Bible is full of examples of God trying to show humanity who God is. And in the Old Testament scriptures, we see that, that God gives people the, the law, and he speaks through these chosen people called the prophets. He speaks in so many ways. And, and as a friend of mine says, we have a God who wants to be recognized, who wants to be seen, and who wants to be known. And God wants us to know what God is like. And I think that's why. That's why finally, 2,000 years ago, we see that God comes to us as one of us in the person of Jesus. That, that Jesus is so important because uh, the, the, at least the, the claim of Scripture and the real people who follow Jesus is the fact that Jesus shows us what God is like. And, and in fact, in, in the New Testament Scriptures, there's this book called the book of Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews even starts out that book by saying this, he says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed an heir of all things. And through him also, he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So basically, the, the, the sum of that is, that it's a fancy way of saying, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. That God is no longer a mystery. And it's not actually true that we can't know anything about God, and it's just kind of you can pick and choose whatever pictures that you want. In Jesus, we see what God is like. So, so today, today, we're starting this, this Lenten series that we're calling, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Um, and, and can you give a guess of what this series is going to be about? Any guesses? Jesus, yes. Brilliant, right? It's going to be about Jesus. But, but most specifically, most, more specifically, um, about Jesus as portrayed in the Gospels. And one, one Gospel in particular, one of the four Gospels, uh, called the Gospel of John. Um, and, and so we have four Gospel accounts they're the stories of the life and ministry of Jesus, including the death and his resurrection. Uh, they're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they, they share a lot of the same stories, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called uh, this, this kind of theological term, like the synoptic gospels. But then we see John's gospel is a very different gospel. It's very different. Um, and uh, maybe you've heard, you've been in church before, you've been in a Bible study. Um, some look at John and say that, He's much more philosophical. He's poetic. He's kind of like the artsy hippie of the bunch. <laughs> he's very illustrative. He's, he speaks in lofty language and kind of like these kind of like deep theological terms. Um, and if the other three gospels focus on the humanity of Jesus, we believe Jesus is 100% human and also 100% divine. 
The three Gospels really focus on the humanity of Jesus. John focuses on the divinity of Jesus, the divinity, showing us how Jesus is God. And it's interesting, John's Gospel was written around the year 90 A.D., 90 AD. So you imagine that's a little while after Jesus' death and resurrection. And it's, it said that there was probably a time that you know, the disciples, all the followers of Jesus, were either being killed, they were martyred for their faith, or those that were outside of the, the 12, that, that they were being chased off and, and some were dying at the time. And John, John continued to live. And it said that John, people kind of like told John, like, hey, you better start writing things down about this Jesus. You better start making these accounts. And so these probably writings were collected over time and then compiled around 90 AD. And, and it's interesting because John's gospel, I really love this stuff, by the way. It, it, John's gospel contains more words of Jesus than any other gospel. More quotations of Jesus, more words from Jesus himself than any other gospel. And in John's gospel, we also hear Jesus reflect on who he is on who he is, as he describes himself to people. And in particular, John is full of these sayings that are, that are called I am statements, or I am sayings, where Jesus gets to teach his disciples, gets to teach us who he is, and specifically what God is like. And, and these words, I am, if you were with us for Ash Wednesday, we talked about this, but allude all the way back to the Old Testament scriptures, to the story of Moses and the burning bush where God finally gives God's own name as I am. So you imagine thousands of years later, Jesus is connecting to that idea and he's using the words I am not just to compare himself to something, but he's also declaring himself as God. And so there's seven of these statements. There's seven and they're things that, um, if, you, if you've been in church before or kind of heard the, the scriptures before, things that Jesus says, like, I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, the life. Uh, these statements. And so in this series, each week, we're going to unpack one of these statements. We're going to explore one of these I am statements. And unfortunately, given that our, our Lenten series is a six weeks long, we don't get to do all of them, and we're going to kind of finish on Palm Sunday here. But we are going to connect to each of them and kind of describe what Jesus is saying. So we're going to wrestle with what Jesus, who is this Jesus? With fresh eyes. Even if you've been walking with Jesus for decades now, or whether you're new to the faith or you're exploring what you believe, who is this Jesus? We're going to wrestle with what is Jesus saying to us about himself, about who he is, and about what, who God is. And so today, today we're going to start out with um, Jesus' first statement here that I am the bread of life. That's where we're going to start today. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to read the story, and then we're basically going to talk about it. Um, the story, it's really significant that it takes place right after another kind of famous story in the Bible called The Feeding of the 5,000. Um, if you're not familiar with The Feeding of the 5,000, that's okay. The synopsis is Jesus is there teaching. It's getting late. Disciples are like, hey, there's all these thousands of people here to see you. Send them away to go get something to eat. And Jesus is like, nope. You feed them, and they're like, what? We can't feed them. There's no food trucks on the scene. Everything buddy's out. Nobody has anything. And there's a little boy that has five loaves, two fish. Jesus takes it, blesses it, breaks it. There's enough to feed everybody, plus 12 doggy bags, baskets left over. It's crazy. It's crazy. So what Jesus says here takes place right after that, right after that. So, so hold on to that idea. There's a miracle 
that takes place of loaves and fishes. Everybody eats. And then Jesus, his, his first action right after that takes place is that Jesus travels across the Sea of Galilee to escape the crowds. That's what happens. He goes across the Sea of Galilee to this town called Capernaum. Capernaum. And, and so John chapter 6 picks up right here in verse 30. So John tells us, so they asked him, who's the they? Well, the they is the crowds. So guess what? Jesus goes across the Sea of Galilee. Guess who follows him? Right? We're rowing across the sea. We need more bread. We want to go see this guy. So the crowds, Jesus thought he was getting away. He's not getting away. So they, the crowds, asked him, what sign will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So, so what, what does he mean here? What does he mean? Well, I have to tell you that um, when I was reading this scripture and doing some study on it, praying over it, um, I, I couldn't help but be reminded about how several years ago, how popular bread baking became during the pandemic. I, I don't know if you were one of those people that took up to baking things, to baking stuff, and, and, and grocery stores, there was a time during the pandemic when things were like shut down and, and that it, grocery stores like couldn't keep things like, like flour in stock because so many people were baking things at home. And, and I remember like having like several friends, like they were posting all these pretty like breads that they were putting together and these muffins and this, all kinds of the, the sharing sourdough starters. I don't know if you've ever done that before. It's kind of gross when you think about it. Like there's like little yeast things and you give them out to people, ugh, right? But it makes really good bread, <laughs> really tasty stuff. Um, but, but it's interesting that something, something about crisis, something in a crisis brought out this kind of primal instinct to bake bread, to bake. I mean, people who don't bake baked, including myself. I, I'm not a baker, and I baked some muffins, and I baked some like little banana bread going on, and I don't know if you were a part of that whole thing, but there's something like in us, you're like, that, that it's just brought out during a time of crisis to be baking things. Maybe that's your stress relief. I don't know, but there's a reason for that, actually. The psychologists actually say that bread, especially the process of baking, it relaxes us. It reminds us of, of an ending. It reminds us also of community and our roots. It reminds us of the importance of the right things, the basics in life. That there's the act of making bread is almost like woven or baked into us as a people. And it's interesting, archaeologists um, recently discovered that, did you know this? Bread baking dates back 14,000 years 14,000 years, one of the first things that was done in civilization. And now, if you travel to any corner of the world, people have some form of bread as a basic of their diet. That, that both kings and peasants eat bread. It's a symbol in many world religions. 
And so bread is like fundamental here. In humanity, we break bread together. It doesn't matter what class you're from, what race you're from, what ethnicity, that we share bread. And when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, beyond the food aspect here, he's saying something more powerful here. So, so what does he mean? What does Jesus mean when he says, I am the bread of life? Well, like many things in John, we're going to find out that it has multiple meanings here. There's multiple interpretations. There's multiple layers of meaning here. There's not just one. But I think the first thing that, that John is pointing to here when Jesus is, is saying the bread of life is that Jesus gives us first what we need each day. Jesus gives us what we need each day. And, and this is really important because the, the original audience knew the story that, was, that they were talking about here, that they would have been talking and sharing with Jesus. This whole story of our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And the people that were hearing this, hearing the gospel, is actually being told orally uh, the first time before, centuries before it was actually written down, or to, years before it was written down. Um, it's referring to the Old Testament story about manna in the wilderness. And, and if you know that story, once again, kind of Cliff Notes version here, is that God leads the Israelites out of Egypt uh, under this guy named Moses, this guy who like, can't speak right, he's not a good leader, he killed somebody, has a bad background, bad track record, and God uses him to lead his people out of Egypt, and they're looking for the promised land, they're wandering around, and they're navigating uncertainty and unknown future. And one of the biggest fears when you're in the wilderness, you're wandering, you don't know where you're going, is what? The fear you're going to starve and die. Right? Like, can't help but wonder about that. Like, where are we going to eat? Like, what's going to happen? And so God basically tells them, no, you're not going to starve and die. Be, you know, calm down here. And instead, God tells them, I'm going to send you every morning this kind of bread-like substance called manna every day. Every day except the Sabbath. And you can collect it, but only each day, only what you need for each day. I kind of call it like the heavenly frosted flakes. It really is. The frosted flakes just arriving there at your doorstep to pick up and put together. But the thing is, you can't store it. And you can't plastic wrap it and you can't freeze it. God's like, you have to trust me that it's going to come every day. And so when Jesus comes and says he is the bread of life, part of what he's telling people here is that he says, I'm going to be this daily presence. I'm going to give you what you need just for today. Just for today. Just daily what you need as you navigate this wilderness of life. Depend on me. Trust me. Today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Depend on me today. Jesus is saying, I want you to trust me in that. And, and so, so many times I know, don't, don't we get caught up in like, hey, what's going to happen next week? And how am I going to get through this? And what, what is this going to do? And, and we, we try to like save up things for ourselves. Israelites learned that in that story too. It all like, like got maggoty and disgusting when they tried to hoard it for themselves. I remember a couple years ago, uh, I love saltwater taffy and visited the beach during the summertime. And, you know, there's only like saltwater taffy from the beach is like the best thing. You can't like buy it from the store in February. It like doesn't work. So what I do, I try to buy a whole bunch of it and hold on to it to kind of budget myself throughout the year. But guess what? By February, it's so water taffy turned mighty, mighty hard to chew. You know, my dentist did not like that. Um, and very, very stale. I couldn't hoard it. I couldn't save it. I needed to keep it in that moment. And, and I think that's what 
what kind of this is alluding to here is that Jesus on that level, though, is saying, just for today, I'm going to give you what you need for today. What do you need today? Today, Jesus says, I'm going to provide that today. And, and, there, and there's something very powerful about being in a place in life where you're taking life one day at a time. And sometimes things like, like illness or, or uh, things that happen to us, they kind of force us into that space that you're only looking at today, you know, what you need today. Um, but I think, I think Jesus is showing us that, that the power of that, what Jesus is saying, just trust me, trust me, I will show up each day, each day. I will give you what you need just for today. That's why we pray in our, in our prayers. We pray specifically in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our what? Daily bread. Daily bread. That word daily is there for a reason. Not weekly, not monthly, not yearly, not like lifelong. My daily bread. My daily bread. He says, I will give you what you need for today. Jesus is saying, like daily bread, he's reminding us that life is lived day by day, dependence on him hour by hour, day by day, especially in our times of need and crisis. So, so he, he's pointing to that idea, that our, our dependence on him, that Jesus gives us what we need each day, but then there's, I think, a second kind of underlying meaning here to what he means when he says, I am the bread of life, and that's that Jesus fills us not temporarily, but permanently. Jesus fills us not temporarily, but permanently. Imagine that, you know, people had just witnessed this miracle. They just witnessed this guy give enough food for 5,000 plus, probably more like 12,000 people with women and children. I don't know about you, wouldn't you want to see him do it again? (laughs) Like, hey, feed me again. Do more of it, Jesus. Do it again. Like, feed me, but, but, but more. I want to see it again. Like, wow, it's just mind blowing here. But this desire of more miracles is actually what prompted Jesus' teaching right before the passage that we just read. So if we back up to verses 26 to 27, we see Jesus say this, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, Jesus saw the problem, not just with them, but with us too. Jesus saw that they were trying to fill a spiritual hunger with a material good. You ever do that? A spiritual hunger, trying to take that and fill that spiritual hunger with, with something that you can get or grasp. And, and when Jesus says he is the bread of life, He's saying, no, I want to point you to something more, not just something temporarily that's going to go through your stomach and be out the other end, right? He's saying, I want to give you something that's more permanently satisfying here. You know, think about this today, right? That Think of all the ways that we, that, that, that people try to fill spiritual desires with temporal goods. You know, I've been reading, I read an article recently about the, um, this idea of retail therapy. You know, and we laugh about that. Like, hey, I'm going to buy something because I'm feeling bad about myself. But that's really the gist of it. But did you know that 62% of people, 62% of us do that? We, when we're feeling sad, we go out and buy something just specifically to alleviate that. And, and actually, there's a little hormone release called dopamine, 
probably heard about that before, and it's a release that makes us feel elated or ecstatic or just, but guess what? It goes away very quickly. And the danger is that we try to keep buying to deal with sadness. Sadness can't be solved that, that way. We, we do other things. People eat, we drink to cope with anxiety, or we drink to cope with social awkwardness, or that we seek relationship after relationship after relationship to sustain us. We go into one-night stands to deal with loneliness, or we stay in a bad relationship, or we overspend just to like, keep up with the Joneses for our status. But the pattern is the same. A lot of us, we deal with spiritual needs by pursuing material goods and even using people, using people as goods. But Jesus is saying that doesn't work. And you know this. When you go through that time and time again, you're feeling even more empty on the other side of that. We're always hungry and coming back for more. The famous uh, scientist and and researcher and inventor, uh, maybe you've heard of him, his name is Blaise Pascal. Um, he, he said this, he was a believer in Christ, and he did a lot of writings theologically. Imagine that, like you can embrace science as well as faith. Like, you know, he was one of those. And he said this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. A God-shaped vacuum in our hearts. See, Jesus is saying, no, I'm the bread of life. He says, I can help you address that emptiness on a permanent basis. I, mean, I can offer you lasting joy and satisfaction and self-worth and uh, relationships that are not based on performance. Jesus is reminding us, don't try to deal with your needs by relying on physical temporary goods because they will not last. See, a relationship with Jesus it is, it is not dependent on those things. You know, it's, it's reminding us that we don't want to be filled temporarily. We want to be filled permanently, and that's through the person of Christ, and he promises that. But I think finally and most obviously, I think when he says that I'm the bread of life, you know, he says, I feel you not uh, temporarily but permanently. He just wants us to give us what we need on a daily basis. But I think, obviously, he also means that Jesus offers us not just better life, but eternal life. Eternal life. You know, it seems like a Christian cliche. Openly admit that. But death is a real fear. We take time to think about that, to ponder. Death is a spiritual fear. You don't think about it until you do, until you're face to face. And in Jesus' day, death was especially a chief fear that people died very, very young. They didn't have all the antibiotics and the treatments and the surgeries and things that we even have today. It was an ever-present reality. It was the enemy of life. And as you read John's gospel, you see this idea as a major theme. Jesus says, I offer life now, but also life after death. That eternity begins now and extends forever. And that, that we don't have to be scared of death anymore. The bread of life means that when we are in relationship with him, that we grasp that. Yes, he richens our life now. He gives us a bigger kingdom and purposes to be a part of, that we would give people a glimpse of what the fulfillment of God's promises will be like, but that it extends into eternity And moving on in John chapter 6, Jesus says this. He says, for my Father's will 
is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus says, I don't just make this life, make your life just more peaceful and better and help you through hard times, and those are good things, right? But he says that when you face death, he says, I'm going to give you life on the other side, something that no one, even death, can take away. And it's interesting, if you do research looking back at the practices of the early church, you find that often in their worship gatherings, their times around the table, they talked about heaven and eternity. And once again, not as a get, I'm going to get away from this place, but as a means of perspective being that whatever happens now is not the end of the story. That the actions I take now is not going to be the end of the game. And in fact, in their times of worship, they would be reminded that that times together was a reminder and a foretaste of eternity, being together. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to know that death is not your final reality with me. And friends, I think even bigger, it offers us the reality for us to live this life differently. When you face death, or maybe someone close to you has, has passed away, doesn't it change your perspective on things? It changes your perspective on the little things. It changes your perspective on why is this happening. It changes your perspective to say the things that I thought really mattered, maybe they don't matter so much. Maybe like getting back at this person or like whatever, or moving on, whatever it is. Like maybe that's not in the big scheme of life with like considering life and death something that I should be focused on. See, it changes how we live. That we can have hope and courage and boldness. That we can have purpose here and now because we know that this is not the end of the story. And so, you know, maybe, maybe this idea, though, might not sound all that relevant to you. But, but any time that we approach death, it is something that comes to mind and we begin to think about. And if you've ever sat alongside someone who's been dying, you see it. You know it. And maybe for you, maybe you're even in a time, a season of grieving loss. And I don't even believe that like grief ever fully ends or goes away. But it's this promise of Jesus that reminds you that death is not the end. Death is not the end. And if you're struggling maybe with a diagnosis or someone that you love is, you know, this could be real for you. It gives you the will and the willingness to fight. And that Jesus' promise can offer hope in the face of our greatest enemy, death. See, Jesus changes how we live now, but he also gives us an eternal perspective, an eternal perspective on the things of this world and this life and the ways that, that we know that we can participate with his purposes here and now, but that this is not the end. So friends, Jesus tells us he is the bread of life. He's the bread of life. And, and John, by sharing Jesus' words in this story, he gets us thinking. He's gotten me thinking. It's incredibly important for us. He shows us that Jesus offers us everything we need each day. That Jesus can address the deep desires in a permanent, lasting way, that we don't have to be chasing after the things of this world that fade away. And that Jesus offers hope and joy and purpose that does not end in death. And that changes the way we live now. And all this is in Jesus. All of it points to who God is. 
that God has power over life and death. And God wants us to have life now, real and true life now, and also into eternity. And there's no challenges that God can't continue to sustain us through here and now. And so, friends, it's important to believe, like, hey, whatever maybe you've been taught or a church you've gone to in the past, God is not out to get you. Instead, what God wants is real life for you now and forever. And it's not about trying harder. It's not about trying to be a better Christian or trying to do things better. Like, yeah, there's, there's a time and a place for that. But instead, Jesus is pointing to this idea, you, we need to yield to him, to allow him into those spaces, to allow him to do the work inside of us. And, and even in other people, that to allow, hey, God's at work in them too. And that we offer grace for ourselves, we offer grace for others. That God wants for us is real life to sustain us just like heaven, just like bread. And as we get closer to Jesus, as we grow closer to God, we also grow into an authentic and full life now. Jesus is the bread of life. That all that when we come to him, we don't have to be worried about being hungry. We don't have to worry about being thirsty. It doesn't mean we never eat or drink or that we never feed anyone or offer them drink but that we know his purpose, we know where he's headed, and we know that he loves us. Let's pray.